It was a little while ago when I realized, kind of looking at the schedule, that Pastor Micah was going to be completing his work last Sunday and based on scheduling from other things that all of a sudden this Sunday was sort of like an open one-off Sunday. And quite frankly, I don't always love that. You're just looking at the whole Bible and you're just like, what do I preach on? I get all of this before me. And when I have that question, one of the main things I often do is just, okay, God, what have you been saying to me in my own personal devotions? And what do I need to be paying attention to do? And uh, that's what I did. In my own devotions right now, uh, in the different parts of Scripture that I read, there's always a psalm. And one of the psalms I recently, fairly recently, came across was Psalm 31. And in reading that psalm, there was much in there that I thought would... Uh, God could speak to me and to you through. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. It's Psalm 31. It can be found on page 545 of your pew Bibles. And I would strongly encourage you that if you open up your pew Bibles, you'd keep it open. Uh, during my messages, I'll be referring back to the text frequently. So again, in your pew Bibles on page 545, uh, we're going to read the entirety of Psalm 31. In its heading, this is identified as a psalm of David to the choir master, and it says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net that they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. 
Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence you hide them. From the plots of men you store them your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was a couple of weeks ago that I saw something for the first time in California that I'd seen a lot growing up uh, in the suburbs of Chicago, but had never seen, at least in the city limits here, and that was a wild rabbit. Happened to be living outside on the front lawn of the church here, and uh, it was interesting to catch its, its sight a couple of times. But like a lot of animals, rabbits tend to be extremely skittish and and very uh, on alert at all times. And so as soon as I would see it, if I got close at all, it would keep its eyes on me. And if I moved, it would immediately dash off and, and go find a place to hide. And that was the case with this rabbit. I learned from the Anthony children that the favorite place for this rabbit to hide was in a downspout right outside here or, or underneath the covered pipes on the other side. Two places where it could run off and go to find some security and some refuge. And I couldn't help but think of that rabbit and, and its anxiety, its, its state of tension that caused it to dash off as I read through this psalm. Because in this psalm, it's talking about David at a time in his life, and there were several, where he was anxious, where he felt attacked, and and where he was vulnerable, and he was looking for and finding a place of security. We learn that immediately at the start of the psalm, when he cries at the end of verse 1 and into verse 2, deliver me, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. If you're actually going to outline the content and the emotions of this psalm, it would kind of make something like a a U-shape where there's uh, two sections at the beginning and the end that talk about the trust and and why uh, David has turned to the Lord for his security. But in the middle, and kind of like the, the focal low point of this psalm, we learn about the reasons why David is feeling vulnerable, anxious, and afraid. That middle low point, focal point, is found in verses 9 through 13 of our text. And in that section, he lays out the reasons for his anxiety. In general, there's a number of different reasons. It's not like other psalms where there's one particular circumstance that he alludes to, but he references a whole bunch in this text. For example, in verses 9 and 10, he talks about his strength failing, his his body and his bones being tired, which suggests that maybe he's dealing with something physical. 
where there's something in his body, an illness or an ailment that is causing him to be anxious. In verse 11 and 12, he talks about how he's become a reproach and during this time of need, how especially his neighbors and his acquaintances are turning their back on him. And what is this doing to him emotionally? There's some emotional, uh, relational anguish in this uh, time of David's life. And a lot of that seems predicated by what we learn in verse 13, that once again, this is a time in David's life where there are literally enemies who are plotting against him, that have the desire to literally kill him. And so he's in fear for his very life. Death is a real option for him in the near future. So maybe there's not one clear overriding issue for David at this time, but understandably, understandably, because of his health, because of the falling apart of his relationships and the emotional anxiety that that's causing him, because of threats against his life, he is tense. He is concerned. He is looking for a bit of security because his life is in turmoil. And as a lot of commentaries pointed out, and the variety of the reasons that we see in those few verses, others can really relate to those circumstances. We see it in Scripture. The prophets Jonah and Jeremiah both quote from Psalm 31 at low points and difficult times in their life. And hopefully you recognized in the reading of this psalm that there was a section that Jesus himself quoted from, something I'm going to discuss and highlight a little bit later in this message. But that's also why I wanted to preach on this psalm for this morning and where I heard it speaking to me as I read it in my personal devotions. As I read through this psalm, I couldn't help but think of the number of you and the times in my own life when those circumstances were very relatable. We heard again this morning, and our bulletin is again this morning, filled with people uh, that have physical needs. And we think about Chris Dornenball, or the names that have shown up week after week, Gina DeYoung and Henry Van Vliet and Jake Weida, and their ongoing struggles that they've had to endure, and the, the longing that they have that it would just end, that there would be a light at the end of the tunnel, and the symptoms and the pain and the struggles would soon come to an end. I think about some of you that are going through relational struggles. How you have felt a need and you've tried to reach out to your friends and your family members, but the very ones who were supposed to be there during your times of struggle have seemed to turn their back on you. They're no longer there. You feel alone. You feel anxious. Couldn't help but also think of the many people that have confessed to me that they've got to very carefully monitor their exposure to the news right now. Because as soon as they open up the news or open up social media, immediately their anxiety and their stress grows as they hear about the things that are being done and they're going on in our world and it just seems like everything's in turmoil and then their soul gets in turmoil because they're wondering what is going on and how am I supposed to respond to this? 
And that's not just an idea or or a, a philosophy behind that, but that's a very real and practical thing. Not making any comments about the value of the vaccine right now. I know many of our teachers and nurses are struggling with the personal issue of what do I do with these new mandates? How am I being called to respond? And you're feeling that tension and that anxiety in you. Of course, I couldn't help but think about the Finleys. That in that struggle in his health, how all of a sudden the reality of death that we all know is looming out there for all of us someday is much, much nearer. And it's a reality that is coming close and it is unavoidable and there is a sense of tension and anxiety. Am I ready to give up this life And what happens after that? Again, in this psalm, thinking about what David was going through and the circumstances that he described, it it reveals that anxiety, that, that emotions of that rabbit, that there's something out there that's threatening to me, that's causing me to feel vulnerable and anxious. I'm scared, I'm afraid, and I want to go somewhere. So where do you go? Where can we run in order to find some relief, security, and refuge? Now, you couldn't read the psalm without realizing the clear answer that David does give, that you run to the Lord. But let me also highlight the fact that that isn't the only option that's out there. In verse 6, David says, I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols. And with that little line there, it reveals that there certainly are other options that people can and do run to for security. And quite frankly, if you ever want to know what your idols are in your life, Pay attention that when you feel anxious and, and, and tense, when you feel unsteady in this world, where do you run? Where are you tempted to go in order to deal with that? Because if you pay attention to that, that will often expose your idols. Think about the many people that because they feel anxious or tense, they want to just deal with those emotions and, and, and dismiss them. So they numb those emotions through uh, substances. Just get drunk. Do drugs so that you don't have to think about the things that are bothering you. Set those emotions aside and pretend like it doesn't exist. Or maybe we can transfer those emotions to something that brings us pleasure. So instead of thinking about the anxiety, we we go shopping or we uh, go fill our lives with distractions. Or maybe we just kill our mind and and numb it by staring at our phone for hours so that we just don't have to think about the things that are out there that cause us anxiety. It doesn't actually resolve the circumstance, but it does numb our emotions. Others turn to the idols of their own strength. And they say, "Well, well, I can fix this. 
I can find loopholes around. I can fight with power against power. And I can take control of this situation and put it to an end. And so they manipulate circumstances. They talk to the right people. They tell lies to cover up the circumstances. And they move forward in their own strength. Not realizing they're turning themselves into an idol and maybe trading some temporary relief for some enduring problems. And again, oftentimes that's exactly what we do. We try to look to those idols that can numb us or think we can avoid the circumstances. But of course, those only bring temporary relief, which is why David says that ultimately his greatest hope, his greatest and only refuge and security is in his relationship with God. And what I want to focus on in relation to that is less about the fact that David finds God to be his rescue, but to ask the question, well, what does that really mean and look like? And so when we look at those other sections, not the low point, but the the descriptions of the trust in David, those other parallel and and, uh, complementing parts of the psalm at the beginning and the end, there's a whole lot of detail there. And quite frankly, for a very long time, even to this very moment, I kind of struggle. Like, how do we cover all of that content And I can't do all of it, but in looking, I was looking for some, what are some major themes? And here are some things that I thought in all of that content is important to share or that stood out to me. Uh, First of all, in, in talking about how God is his refuge, David actually spends a decent amount of time talking about the past. He focuses, first of all, on his past understanding of who God is. This is seen in the prayer at the beginning in verses 2 and 3. There David says, Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. But right after that, he says, For you are my rock and my fortress. And it kind of seems like a bit of a contradiction. What is David doing here? Is he asking David to be his rock? Or is he declaring that God, I'm sorry, is David asking God to be his rock? Or is he declaring that he already is his rock? And the answer is both. A lot of the content of this psalm can actually be boiled down to this idea that uh, Charles Spurgeon is credited for in a lot of the commentaries I read of saying that David is asking God to be the God he knows in faith. David has heard in the scriptures, he had heard from his teachers about this God who had made a relationship with his people. He's heard that this God is a source of refuge, a God who loves and cares for his people. And now David's saying, show up, be that God, do those things that I have heard you talk, described about you in the past and I believe in faith Let me now experience that. But not only does David reflect upon his past knowledge of God, he also reflects on past experiences with God as well. 
This is easiest to see. Well, there's a number of places where it's easy to see, but one of the examples of that is in verses 7 and 8, where David confidently declares his trust in God because he knows that God has seen his afflictions. He knows that God is aware of the distress of his soul. God is not ignorant about what this means for David. God has protected him from turning him over to his enemies, and God has set his feet in a broad place. David said, I've seen you bless me in the past. I know that when I've trusted you before, you've shown up, you are there, you've taken care of me. And again, in light of that, continue to do that again. David has learned that when he follows God's commands and guidance for his life, that God will see, God will know, and that God will be faithful. And that's important. Like that vulnerable rabbit doesn't just sit out there in the middle of the lawn and wait until someone or something shows up before it takes off. It already knows where it's going to go. It has its favorite spot. It's established. If someone comes from this direction, I'm going over there. And if someone comes from this direction, I'm going over there. I know where my places of security are before I even need them. And that's the same with David. He knew where to go before he even needed it. And all of that, looking to the past, is actually grounded in his covenant relationship with God. It's not about what David is doing for God, but it's in the reality of the promises that God had already made, not only to the people of Israel in general, but to David in particular This is seen a lot in verses 14 through 18 of the text, but it is especially seen in verse 16 where it says, make your face shine on your servant. I don't think you can really listen to that without hearing the echo of the great covenantal blessing to the people of Israel that includes, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The relationship that David had looking to the past was grounded in the covenant. And because of those covenant promises, David always knew he could trust in God's guidance and his direction. And we see how that played out. We can think about times in David's life. For example, when King Saul was hunting after David, seeking to kill him and remove him as a threat to his throne... David had a couple of opportunities where he could have just killed Saul and removed that threat from himself and claimed the throne, having already been anointed to it. But instead of taking things into his own hand, David says, I'm going to let God deal with this. And he did. And in the same way, we see echoes of that in our psalm as well. There are times here where David is saying, I'm not going to take issues into my own hands, trying to force my desired outcome and remove the threat from myself. But even in this threat, I'm going to trust that God knows that God is still in control. Why? Because God has told me he has and that he will. And since he has said that, he will be faithful. It's not about ending the threat, but it is about resting in the trust of God in and through those situations. A lot of that, I think, is summed up for us in verse 15, where David says, my times are in your hand. When he says that, what times do you think he's talking about? 
Just the good times, the times of blessing, the times that, you know, he's prospering and his kingdom is advancing. No, when he says, my times are in your hand, he means all times, both good and bad. David knows that hard, difficult, and scary times will come. They are part of living in a broken world and being a broken person. But he also knows that when he lives out of his covenant relationship with God, then God will be faithful. It doesn't mean that things will just go away or be easy. But it does mean that no matter what happens, David can be at peace and secure knowing he belongs to God and God is in control of all things at all times. And that's where we bring in the parallel quote to that from verse 15 to the early part of the text, that part what Jesus quoted from in verse 5, where it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. According to Luke 23, Jesus shouted that as a declaration while he hung on the cross right before he died. Throughout his life, Jesus had found refuge in Jesus, in his relationship to the Father. He had always done what the Father had directed him to do. He was always faithful, and Jesus never sinned. But nevertheless, Jesus lived a challenging life. Jesus knew what it was to be doubted and abandoned by friends. Yes, we know about his enemies and the opposition that the other religious leaders had against him and to him, but oftentimes it wasn't just them. It was his own family members and even his disciples that questioned, what are you doing and who do you think you are? Jesus knew what it was to have enemies that literally plotted against his life and much of his ministry was spent in, in uh, worrying, wondering about and having to deal with those who were seeking to find a reason to kill him and to remove him. He knew what it was to suffer physically, especially at the end when he was beaten, mocked, spit upon, and was nailed to the cross. And yet, in quoting from this psalm, in the very face of death, he is saying, I trust in you, God. And I trust that you have a plan, and I trust that you will bring even these circumstances for your glory. And God did. The Father was faithful. And out of the most horrendous and evil act, the murder of the Son, innocently upon that cross, God brought about the greatest act of redemption. Where our sins were nailed upon that cross with Christ. And when he rose victorious on that third day, he proved victory over death. And therefore, because of that great act and because of the blood of Christ, we can share that same confidence that David had and especially that Jesus had on that cross, saying that our spirit belongs to God and therefore we too can be at peace. 
It's another thing that we can look back to in the past that says God promised to be faithful, and he was over and over again, even in rescuing his son from death. And it is something that not only establishes but affirms our covenantal promises given to us that we belong to Jesus. When your greatest need in the world is met, the need for your sins to be forgiven and your relationship to the Lord to be restored and secured through the blood of Christ, when that is taken care of, well, then everything else loses its importance. Yes, in this life, we might, we might struggle with finances. There'll be times when we have questions about our employment and work. We will struggle with relationships. We will grow anxious in the political circumstances of this world. We will have times when our bodies are not doing what we hope that they will, and all of us will one day face the reality of death. And throughout all of that, there will be many times when we feel out of control, when we feel anxious, when we don't know what to do or where to go. And in that, we will be tempted to try to build our own securities. We will be tempted to fight or, or to despair. But our, your, David's only hope was found in God. And we can know that he will be the God he has promised to be over and over again. That God who always sees and knows. The God who will not abandon you. The God that works all things, all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And therefore, when we find ourselves afraid, lost, and like there's no stability in life, don't turn to idols or to your own strength. Go back to your refuge, to your relationship with God. Now again, recognize that that's not something you wait to cultivate until there is need. Many of us know that, of course, we run to God when we have troubles. We can remember after September 11 how everyone was praying to God and how they all turned to him. But that's something needs to be cultivated now in anticipation of those hard times. So I think and encourage all of you, especially at this time when school begins again and when routines are shifting into something more regular and normal, make sure that right now you incorporate your normal devotions and prayer life into that routine so that you can build on your knowledge of who God is and what he has done in the past. Uh, you can build that covenantal relationship with him through prayer and devotion so that when those trials come, you know where to go. And you know why God's foundation is there. And one other warning, don't think that just because you're throwing up some prayers during times of troubles that you're truly finding your refuge in God. Oftentimes we think, well, yeah, I said a couple of prayers and asked God to take it away. But in the meantime, in our actions, we're, we're lying, we're manipulating, we're controlling, we're trying to do things so that we are in charge. That's not putting your refuge in God. Putting your refuge in God means dwelling in him and knowing that no matter what is happening in your life, you can trust the promises of God, which says you are mine, you belong to me, there is nothing outside of my knowledge or control, and therefore I will use even what you're going through for my glory and for the building of my kingdom.
And that's why I can only end where David ends in this psalm by reading again the words of verses 23 and 24. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. I hope that's the truth that you know. I hope that's the truth you proclaim to others. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, because this world is broken and our rebellion against you, we know that we will live through and in all kinds of trials, some of our own making. And in light of that, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God who is faithful to his promises, that we can depend upon you and your grace and your love and your mercy the hope that we belong to you and that you will work all things according to your purposes and glory. May that give us strength during times where we feel anxious or vulnerable. And whenever we turn to you, may that be where we turn, not turning to idols or to things that will distract or assuage either the problem or our emotions, but we will fully trust in you, praising you for being that faithful, wonderful God. Thank you for that gift. Most especially, thank you for sending your son who through his blood has claimed us. May that claim secure us in all times of our lives as we give you our times and our spirits. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.